John chapter 4. Did you bring your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles. Awesome. They're glowing. John chapter 4. This is a pretty familiar story. Uh, You'll be familiar with one of the characters, and this is what it says. John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 4. Is that where we're going to start? Yeah. So let's talk about Jesus. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, uh, gave, near the field that Jacob gave his son to Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from a walk, long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus said, woman, if only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to. You would ask me, and I would give you living water. Uh, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this, and this well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And besides... Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus said, go and get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. I said, that's awkward. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Man, Jesus, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have five husbands. You weren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. That's savage. Awesome. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at the mountain Gerizim where ancestors worship? Jesus replied, this is long. Are you still with me? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming will it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming indeed. It is here and now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus did an epic mic drop and said, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And I love verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Hold on, we're gonna keep going. Jump down, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, but not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Can I get a deep breath? My goodness, are you doing okay? I need a moment. Hey, I want to title tonight's message. I want to title tonight's message, if you're taking notes, this changes everything. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey neighbor, I hope you're having a good night. 
because this is about to change everything. Turn to the other neighbor, say other neighbor. Neighbor number one was not ready, but I hope you're ready because this is about to change everything. <laughs> this is about to change everything. Come on. Hey, question for you, question. Have you, ever, have you ever had a moment in your life when you realized that your life will never be the same? Have you ever had like that physical moment in your life when you realized nothing in my life will ever be the same? There's been a few, few of those moments in my life. The first was on Janu- June 13th, 2000. June, oh gosh, I've already messed this up. I'm sorry, Mandy. My anniversary is June 14th, 2013. That was a big date for me. It's flag day. That was the day Mandy and I got married, and that was a life-changing day for me. Another life-changing day for me is, if you don't know this, I'm a massive history nerd. And uh, on June 14th, 2014, I got to go to the White House and be in the White House. That was like a life-changing experience for me because I'm an epic nerd. That was awesome. Another time, this past October, um, I I also love baseball. And so I got to go to the World Series in Los Angeles and and see a baseball game. By the way, fun fact, the baseball game that I went to, World Series 2018, Game 3, longest World Series game ever. It was seven hours and 20 minutes. Longer... That was longer than the entire 1939 World Series. Like, that's how long this game was. Longest world, 18 innings forever. But I was a part of history. That was like a, an epic moment in my life. Changed my life forever because I love baseball. Go Red Sox. Please win a game. Another moment in my life that was historical was August 1st, 2018. And uh, that was the day that we found out we were pregnant. That was the day, August 1st, 2018. 18. And it's weird because that kind of moment happens on a random day. Like it was a Wednesday night. We had just got done with our outreach. And like this type of news, no one like prepares for. It's just kind of random. Like, hey, how's your day? My day's great. By the way, I'm pregnant. I'm sorry. What was that? What what did you just say? It didn't happen like that. But it just all of a sudden on a random Wednesday night, my life forever changed. Flash forward to April 5th, 2019. It's a Friday. This was a couple days ago, a Friday. We were scheduled to go in Saturday morning uh, to begin the delivery process of our child. So Friday, April 5th was like our last day, just Mandy and I. Like that's a weird feeling to know that tomorrow my life will be completely different. And so like all day long was like, this is the last time I'm going to brush my teeth without a child. This is the last time we're going to eat together without a child. Like, this is a weird, Friday was a weird day for us. Like, this is the last time. And I remember getting in bed, laying in bed, and be like, oh my gosh, when I wake up, my life will be completely different. That's a weird moment. Have you ever gone to sleep knowing that tomorrow morning, my life will never be the same? That's heavy. That's how I felt. So April 5th, go to bed. We wake up. Why do children pick the most inopportune time to decide to come? So we made it to the hospital at 2 a.m. on Saturday, April 6th, and Mandy goes into labor pretty shortly after. And um, a few, uh, like, few hours later, like 5 a.m., Mandy goes into labor. A few hours later, 6.18 p.m. on April 6, 2019, Claire Marie Collum is born. Come on, like eight pounds, seven ounces, 21 inches. She's amazing. And, and hear me, I get like lots of questions like, Braden, can we see, like everyone has asked me, like, Braden, can we see a photo of your baby? Like, can we see a photo? And I've made a promise. I've made a commitment. 
sorry, I am not going to be that guy who just like shows my child all the time. I'm not going to be that guy who's like, oh, look at my baby. I'm not going to put her on blast like that. I'm not going to be that dad. I've made a commitment. I've made a promise in front of God. I'm not going to be that dad. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Y'all put my baby on the screen. Put her on the screen, y'all. Y'all, I made that. Like, come on. That's so awesome. Claire Marie Collum, eight pounds, seven ounces, full of poop. It's so awesome right now. Um, but here's the thing. I remember on April 6, 2019, 6.18 p.m., she came out screaming, gross, soggy, wrinkled. I remember thinking, I literally remember thinking, like, this changes everything. Like, all the preparation has just been anticipating. But I remember she comes out, she starts crying, and I'm thinking, this is the moment that changes everything. I think the Samaritans feel a, a certain, they didn't have any babies in this story, but I think in John chapter 4, there's a similar emotion happening You see, in John chapter four, it's a story that we're really familiar with. We are so familiar with the woman at the well. Like we've all heard it, but what we, she's like the star of the show, but what we don't talk about too often are the villagers of Samaria. That's my, as I was reading that this week, that's what popped out to me were the villagers of Samaria. And we never talk about them, but I want to look at them tonight. John chapter four, I want to start in verse 28. We've already read this, but I want to read it again. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So I love this. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 39, jump down, says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. But when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. You see, as we discuss this idea of worship, I think these Samaritans, this this group of Samaritan villagers teach us something really important about worship. What I want you to understand tonight is that we worship when we care more about meeting Jesus than just talking about Jesus. We care more about meeting with Jesus. We worship more when we care more about meeting with Jesus than just talking about Jesus. You know why I love the Samaritan village? It's because this incredible encounter happens. This Samaritan woman comes into the village, says, hey, this man, Jesus, told me everything about myself. We, I think he's the Messiah. What I love about the Samaritan villagers is that they didn't just take her at her word. They were not okay with just hearing about Jesus. They weren't okay just talking about Jesus. What does verse 30 say? They flooded out of their village so that they could meet Jesus face to face because hearing about him or talking about him wasn't good enough. And if I'm honest with you, that's a huge struggle of mine. Because like my job, I get paid to talk about Jesus. It's my job. Now, some of you will be like, Brayden, that's an awesome job. How easy is it for you to love Jesus when you get paid to talk about it? But the reality is I love my job. But there are some severe risks of me thinking that the totality of my faith in Jesus is just talking about Jesus. The greatest danger of my faith is thinking that talking about Jesus is good enough. You want to know why so many pastors get burned out? You want to know why so many Christian leaders fall away? It's because they have forgotten that the most important part of their faith is not just talking about Jesus. The most important part of our faith is actually meeting with Jesus, spending time with him, seeking his heart, hearing from him. And it's something that, honestly, I'm really poor at sometimes. I'm really poor at that. 
because I get so caught up in this. My job is just to talk about Jesus. I'm gonna talk about him. I'm gonna think about him. I'm gonna learn about him. And I forget that the actual important part, we worship Jesus when we care more about actually meeting with Jesus. I wish I was more like the Samaritan villagers who were passionate, not just to hear about Jesus, but they wanted to see him. They wanted to hear his voice face to face. I think many of us, I think many of us have lost our passion to meet Jesus because we have replaced it with a passive duty to just talk about Jesus. But true worship happens when we care way more about meeting with Jesus than just talking about Jesus. But guess what? Talking about Jesus is important. Verse 28, read it again. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And then what happens? So the people came streaming from the village to see and meet Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand tonight is that we worship when we can't stay silent about Jesus. We worship when we can't stay silent about Jesus. You see, the villagers in chapter 4, John chapter 4, would have never have known about Jesus if the Samaritan woman wasn't excited about her encounter with Jesus. They would have never have known who this Jesus person was unless the Samaritan woman had an encounter, met, her, met him face to face, and then that stirred in her a boldness and excitement to go tell the villagers. And how could she be silent? She met God. She met God. Question for you. When you, when you meet God, do you think it's just like a chill occasion? What's up, creator of the universe? You know all things. You created all things. What's up? Like, do you think it's just a, a chill occasion? Like, some of you have met celebrities, and you have lost your minds. Have you seen those people that, like, me, like, I, like and what do they do? Like, I got my phone out. I got to take a selfie. I got to post it immediately on social media so everybody know I met Justin Bieber or I met LeBron James, right? Like, we get, it, we get pumped when we, we don't even have to meet celebrities. Like, if a celebrity walks in the same restaurant you're in, like, everybody look, look at me. I'm excited to tell you that I'm in the presence of Justin Bieber, like, he doesn't even notice you, but we get so hyped, and we want everyone to know, right? Look at me. I'm going to post it. going to get 100,000 likes on this because Justin Bieber was in the same room as me. We get hyped for celebrities, and it makes sense because we have this natural inclination to be excited about important people, but it seems to be there an exception with God. We have this amazing encounter with God, right? And then we just never tell anyone. Many of us come into this room and we have this encounter with God, but then we never go home to talk about it with our parents. We have this encounter with God, but we never actually talk about Jesus in school. Some of us in this room have an amazing encounter with God, but you won't even go to your life groups to say anything. And so it makes me wonder, maybe you had less of an encounter with God and more of an encounter with your emotions. Because once you encounter the living God, it changes everything. How can you be silent about him once you have met the living God face to face? But how many do us respond? We love you, Jesus. Post a super spiritual tweet and then go to bed. That's the excitement level. I love the excitement of the Samaritan woman. Meets Jesus face to face. She says, I can't hold this in. People need to hear about this man. 
There's no way she could be silent about it. But listen, an encounter with Jesus just doesn't change the way you speak. It actually changes the way you live your life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Some translations say a new creation. The old life is gone. Behold, a new life has begun. See, so many of us come into this room on Wednesday nights, and we have learned to say the right things on Wednesday nights. But then we go to school on Thursday morning, and nothing has changed about us. Like you're still getting in trouble at school. You're still disrespecting your teachers. You're still gossiping. You're still disrespecting your parents. You're still making fun of people. And though your lips have said yes to following Jesus, your life has said a loud no to actually obeying him. And the truth about following Jesus is it doesn't just change your lips. It doesn't just change your words. It changes your entire life. Second Corinthians says that you are a new creation once you have an encounter with Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, your entire self to God because of all that he has done for you. Let your lives let your bodies, let your entire self be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Listen to this. This is truly the way to worship him. Guys, we worship Jesus when we offer our lives as a sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? Oh my gosh, I have to be sacrificed to worship Jesus? No, 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 no. Hey, listen, listen. Sacrifice is all about cost. Worship is not worship unless it costs you something. And what does it cost you to worship God? Everything. What do you owe God? What does God want from you? What does it cost to follow God? Everything. See, the, the, the thing about sacrifice is that it's always uncomfortable, and it's always uncomfortable because it always requires a price. That's why following Jesus is uncomfortable, because it's going to cost you something. It'll cost you your popularity. Like, I had a conversation. I think it was literally Sunday. I was having a conversation with a student, and I was asking her, like, hey, like, where did this student go? Like, I haven't seen her. Did you, have, you, have you invited her back to church? And then I stopped and was like, does anyone ever talk about God or church and school? Do you even text each other? And of course the answer is no. It's not cool to text about church. It's not cool to talk about God. It's not popular. The popular kids don't talk about God in school. But when did we start valuing popularity more than holiness? When did we start valuing popularity and how people view us? When did we start valuing that more than seeing the kingdom of God reside in our hallways? When did we start valuing people's opinion of us more than God's view of us? Following Jesus is going to cost you popularity. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you friends. And it's uncomfortable. Following Jesus is not hip. It's not cool. It's not popular. It never has been. Do you know why? Because it's costly and uncomfortable. I was speaking to someone else a few months ago. And uh, I was just talking about their journey in life. Like, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your faith. Like, whatever. And this person looked at me and was like, honestly, I don't believe in God. I don't believe, I don't even believe in Jesus. But then they said something to me that was interesting. They said, I actually really like the idea of Jesus. And I wondered, it hit me, and I said, I wonder how many of us live our lives with that mentality. We love the idea of Jesus. 
You see, saying yes to the idea of Jesus is easy because it doesn't require any change. You can say yes to the idea of Jesus and still treat your family like you do. You can say yes to the idea of Jesus and your bad habits don't have to change. You can say yes to the idea of Jesus and your priorities don't have to change. The way you treat people doesn't have to change. Your social media usage doesn't have to change. It's because saying yes to the idea of Jesus doesn't change anything. But some of you, some of you have said yes to the idea of Jesus, but you haven't said yes to actually following Jesus. Why? Because it's going to cost you something. You know what the, the price tag of following Jesus is? Do you know what the price tag is? Self-denial. I want everyone to say self-denial. Did that hurt a little bit? We are a generation that does not like self-denial. Laying down your wants for his wants. Trading your desires for his desires. Trading your plans for his plans. Trading your feelings for his truth. You see, the cost of following Jesus, the price tag of following Jesus is self-denial. Following Jesus is costly, but here's what I want you to understand. That when you decide to say yes to actually following Jesus, giving your whole heart to him, meeting with him face to face, when you decide to do it, let me tell you tonight that it changes everything. Guys, sermons and songs are not going to change your life. The living God is the only one that's going to change your life. And when you decide to meet the maker of the universe face to face, that is when your life begins to change. That's when things begin to change for you. Some of you have never had a genuine encounter with God. Some of you have never had a genuine encounter with Jesus because you're too busy living your parents' faith. And the only reason you're in this room is because your parents forced you or drove you. Some of you had never had an encounter with Jesus, a real life encounter with Jesus, because you have been too satisfied with sermons and songs, that you've never met the real Jesus. Some of you have missed out on the beauty of Jesus because you have said yes to coming to church on Wednesday nights, but you have not said yes to following Jesus on Thursday morning at school when it's not cool. Because it's costly. And I'm here to tell you tonight, that the moment you say, I am no longer satisfied with the status quo, the moment you say, I'm no longer satisfied with just lip service, the moment you say, you know what, Jesus, I'm in this for real, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna be with you the rest of my day, the moment that happens, everything changes. That's when everything changes. Guys, the idea of Jesus doesn't change depression. The person of Jesus is who's, who's the one who calms the storm in your life. The idea of Jesus doesn't bring you hope. The person of Jesus is the one who brings hope to the hopeless. The idea of Jesus doesn't save you from hell. The person of Jesus who died on a cross, was put in a grave, and rose three days later, he is the one who can gain you access to eternal life with the Father. Only him, not the idea of Jesus. And when you move out of just the knowledge of God, and you move into the relationship of God, that is the moment everything changes. But so many of us are so pleased with just the knowledge of God. We love coming to services. We love hearing sermons. We love listening to songs. But we don't want to take the step into relationship because it might be uncomfortable. But worshiping God requires a sacrifice. It's going to cost you. You know the crazy thing about having a baby is we go to all of these Throughout the pregnancy, we go to all these classes. We talk to all of these nurses. We talk to all of these doctors. We talk to all of these professionals. And they give you all these rules and ideas. They tell you what your child is gonna be like. They tell you like her characteristics, how big she might be. And they tell you what to expect. Like this is, this is what to be prepared for. And so in my head, I had all of this knowledge about Claire. I knew what she was gonna do. 
I hope she looks like Mandy and not like me because Mandy's way better looking than I am. Like I had all of this head knowledge about what to prepare for, what to look for. But you want to know, like nothing could have prepared me for the moment that I got to see my daughter's face. You want to know what changed everything about my life on April 6, 2019 at 6.18 p.m.? It wasn't knowing about my daughter. It was seeing my daughter face to face. That was the moment everything changed. And it's the same with our relationship with God. In fact, that wasn't the only reason my life changed in that moment. Because it showed me that moment. April, man, I'll never forget April 6, 6.18 p.m that moment also showed me the heart of God for us. Because here's what I want you to understand. That little girl has done nothing for me. She's done nothing beneficial to me. Like all she has done is make me lose sleep, screamed at the top of her lungs at 3 a.m., like cost us money, and has blown out a million diapers. That's all this girl has done for me. Like she has not benefited me in any way, but I don't love her because she can contribute anything to me. I love her simply because she is my child. Don't you understand that's the same way God looks at you? God doesn't need you. There's nothing that you can contribute to God that he doesn't have. But he looks at you in the middle of your mistakes. He looks at you and what you did last night. He looks at you and what you've been doing online. He looks at you and do you know what he says to you? I love you. Not because of anything you've done, but simply because he created you. And I'm telling you tonight, when you meet that God, when you meet face-to-face the God who loves you simply because he created you, everything changes. How can you be the same? How can you be the same with such kindness and mercy and compassion and grace? But so many of us come into this room and we meet that God, we sing to that God, and then we leave as if nothing happened. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God is asking to come near. God is waiting for the moment where you say, I'm no longer satisfied with sermons and songs. I want to seek the face of Jesus. I want to meet him face to face, just like the behavior of the Samaritan villagers. I'm no longer satisfied with just hearing people talk about Jesus. I'm no longer satisfied with just talking about him. No, I want to meet this Jesus face to face. And guess what? Even if you love Jesus already, it's a daily decision. We get caught in these habits. I know Jesus, so I'm going to do my thing, and he's going to bless it, right? Jesus wants you to meet him face to face every day. And he's so kind, and he loves you. So my hope for you is that tonight would be a moment where you say, I'm no longer satisfied with those things. Would tonight be the night that you press in and say, Jesus, I want to meet you tonight face to face. To face, and I'm ready for everything to change. You know the amazing thing about God? It's costly to following Jesus, but did you know that his ways are better than your ways? Self-denial, right? We have to give him our plans, but his plans are better than my plans. His time is better than my timing, and his truth is better than my feelings. So it sounds like you're sacrificing, but you're gaining eternal life. So that's my hope for you. I don't want you to just come into these rooms singing songs, listening to messages, having really good discussions in your groups. No, I want you to meet with Jesus, the creator of the world, the creator of you who loves you regardless of what you've done. I want you to meet him tonight face to face.
Let's pray.